Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I've, I guess I've always had a certain affection for the sky and for just kind of observing weather. Um, when I was a kid, I remember distinctly like running around the house and like opening up the blinds. My parents were like, what are you doing? And I said, I want to see God. And I was like running around and just feeling like this like amazing sense of wonder in the world. Um, when I was in high school, kind of discerning what programs to apply to for college, I seriously considered uh, enrolling in a meteorology program because it's like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to just like study the heavens? I then realized that there's like a lot of science involved. <laughs> Meteorology is not just like cloud appreciation. <laughs> it's like it's like a it's like a, a, a science. And then I was like, okay, no, 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 that's not gonna happen. Um, but I've always kind of had this intuitive sense that the sky was always a teacher. That that there are things to learn from the sky. And actually, I think that a lot of kids intuitively understand this. When I interact with my nieces and nephews, with the kids of New City, there's, there is kind of that sense of wonder, isn't it? Um, and, and I think that that's because the sky is imbued with God's glory. That, like the scripture says today, that there is a certain, like, ministry of the sky in the lessons that it teaches. Um, so, so I, it just makes me like think about as, even as an adult, think about like how many times, how many hours you've listened to a storm outside your window and just like soaked that all into yourself. Or think about the times when you see a really like pink sunset, how arresting that is. And it kind of like stops everything. Um, think of the last time that you saw a lot of stars and it was just kind of this amazing sense of wonder in the world. Each of those times, I believe, are, are moments when God was reaching out to us through the sky. Um, like the scripture says, it's not that there are words, it's that there is a greater glory for us to learn by contemplating the sky. There is a greater truth to be held um, when we understand um, the sky. And I, I don't know, I'm the, I, well, as much as I love sky appreciation, I am definitely the kind of person who takes in that poll, who like takes pictures of the sky <laughs> and like loves it. But then I, when I go to my photos <laughs> and look at it, it's always kind of a bummer for me. Because maybe maybe I'm not as good of a of a um, <laughs> yeah maybe I'm not as good of a of a photographer as Steve is and that's why I don't have a, a picture of a sunset of my over my bed but for me it's like the whole point of the sky is its amazing wideness like the the great gift of the sky is just how big it is and when we truly contemplate the sky, it allows us to right-size our relationship with the rest of creation. 
what I mean is like when it when I look at the sky, it reminds me simultaneously of both how small and how seen I am. How small I am because of like look at how amazingly big the sky is, but also how seen I am because God is creating such a beautiful, amazing, infinitely available thing that I can just go out and look at at any time. And, and I have the spiritual workings to, to be able to draw wisdom from that and appreciation and awe in from that. Like, that makes me feel really seen. And the sky is God's reminder that as long as there is a sky, God's glory is going to show up. And I think about uh, Psalm 19 as one of the key eco-theology texts, one of the key eco-theology texts. Eco-theology is the way that we look at like kind of the Bible and our, our discourse about God and how that relates to our relationship with the planet. It sprung out largely in response to a tradition of Christianity that came out of um, the 1500s that kind of was like, um, we're going to buy into this Cartesian dualism of Descartes. Don't worry about it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Cartesian dualism of like, there is like um, reason and then there's the earth. There's like enlightenment and then there's base materiality. There's men who can think philosophically and women who are lower to the earth. Like there's like this kind of dualism that came out of the 1500s. And uh, that wasn't always part of Christianity, but it really became part of, especially Western Christianity after Descartes. And uh, eco-theology is trying to really critically examine that and see where that has gotten us, and then try to um, draw from resources from our ancestral tradition of, of Judeo-Christianity that we've been grafted into to be able to find a different way to relate to the planet. Um, so, uh, Psalm 19 is an important part of eco-theology, and um, I just think it's funny because, like, so many people at New City Church have grown up that is, like, going to church or hearing, even if they themselves didn't go to church, hearing from uh, church that, like, we need to be suspicious of things like astrology because, like, that is pagan idolatry, like that is something that is suspicious, that is something that is counter to Christ, which is to say Jesus, like that is counter Jesus. And I think it's so interesting to put that critique in conversation with Psalm 19, which is like, you know what, we can actually learn a lot from looking up at the sky. <laughs> like we, there's like stuff here that we should like notice and like the the circuits that the sun and the stars are riding like maybe we could like uh, uh, try to understand that a little bit deeper and maybe we'll learn something more about God and so like I don't know like a lot of folks at at New City are into astrology and I don't I'm not so I'm not, I don't, I'm not perturbed <laughs> from that. I don't have a lot of uh, hesitation ag against that because for me, what makes it, um, what makes something Christian or not Christian is not whether or not you're looking at the sky or like looking for learnings from the sky, but rather like how you are holding any one of these particular 
practices. And so like, um, like I, for me, it's like, I'm less concerned about people who are observing a heliocentric universe. And I'm more concerned about how it is we can go about living a Christocentric life. And so um, I, I ask questions uh, about astrology and it's like that, the, the response to that question, those questions determines whether or not uh, I can hold it as a Christian. Questions like, did God make the stars? Like, do we, do we believe that there is like an authorship to creation that was like kind of like the origin of these things? And so we observe them not as, uh, as like a creation of a creator. Like, did God make the stars? Are those stars conveying a message of liberating love? Like, does it align with how I understand Jesus showed up in the world, which was to free all the captives and to create a pathway for everyone to be whole through love? Um, will practicing astrology result in God's dream of a whole and just world being realized, something we call the kingdom of God? Uh, so, like, who created it? Does it just show an ethic of liberating love and like, what is it going to result in? If you can answer yes to all of those, that sounds pretty Christian to me. <laughs> like that sounds pretty Jesus-y. That, that's, that seems some, like something that the Bible isn't going to be overly concerned with because, and, and of course, um, I know that there's like conservative Christians somewhere like rolling in there. Uh, uh, arriving in there, they're like, get a, like a cold, wet feeling on the back of their neck as they know that this is being preached somewhere. Cause they're like, but look at all the idolatry. Look at the discourse of the old Testament and the new Testament about like, throw away your idols. Don't worship stone. Don't worship wood. That means that we're not supposed to be like, um, uh, looking to the natural world for divine insight. And I think that's, um, a, completely a complete misunderstanding of what idolatry is. Idolatry is uh, about when you hold something and when you make mistake something for what is good as God. Idolatry is when it's it's not um, it's about like when when you're posturing towards something that you've created and then um, thinking that that has ultimate say over our lives or that that is, is the holder of our ultimate values. That's what idolatry is. It doesn't, it's not like the Bible is anti-rocks or anti, because the rocks cried out for Jesus, or anti-wood. Like the, the, the Bible is anti, like misunderstanding the nature of something because when we misunderstand that, uh, 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 it detracts from our ability to love God, who is ultimate, like kind of our ultimate, right? And so um, it's interesting to me that there are so many churches that uh, preach against climate change, for example, just to bring up a sassy little example that's related to the heavens. It's interesting to me that so many churches are preaching clim uh, climate denial because that from how I understand the Bible and following Jesus and trying to live a Christocentric life, that is idolatry. <laughs> like, like the proclamation of climate denial is idolatry. And I'll tell you how I got there. 
Um, first of all, by the way, the reason why this is especially relevant is uh, for me is because um, this week we saw a panel from a, a group from the UN called the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, released their sixth report on the most up-to-date science that they have about climate change. And this is, by the way, people who have set who have dedicated their lives and set about looking at the sky for wisdom, who have <laughs> tried to understand the actual science. These are the people who like actually did go into those meteorology programs to try to understand a deeper truth of, of how things relate to each other, which is in itself is something that I want to honor. And I, so I'm looking at all of this and, I, and uh, they released this report and uh, the report by the way, was created from um, hundreds of scientists collaborating together. Who hundreds of scientists like zooming together because like everything was COVID, and so they were still persisting and putting together this report. Um, Sixty-six countries represented among the scientists that are putting this together. Sixty-six countries, including countries that have conservative governments including countries that, uh, from the global south, like, this is, like, okay, like, 66 countries, um, uh, coming together to try to, to try to understand this thing that is going to affect all of us, and when, uh, when we look at this report, which, by the way, there, there's, like, over 14,000 citations in it, like, it's nuts, this report is thorough, this report is, like, Enneagram 5's just going off, <laughs> being like, I got all the data, we're diving into this. So <laughs> from 66 countries, hundreds of scientists pouring together um, uh, on this project of trying to understand cl the climate. And, and by the way, what they found um, is a confirmation of a lot of the things that we've heard from previous reports um, that we need to drastically aggressively reduce our, our CO2 emissions if we are going to uh, contain the temperature rising to 1.5 or 2 degrees, which is like already going to be devastating. But like if we want to stay there, we have to drastically cut our CO2. And if we immediately do cut CO2, it'll immediately, um, how do I say, it? it will immediately improve air quality, but we'll see the temperature effects of of our decisions for the next like 20 years regardless because like this is the bed that we've made and now we're gonna lie in it so like yeah so um drastically cut our co2 they have in improved the science even since the last report in um uh seeing what uh, the effects of sea rise uh how monsoon season is going to get wetter how droughts are going to be more dramatic um, uh, and, and interestingly, I think that like the most hopeful takeaway for me from the IPCC report is they're like, all of our instruments and our tools <clears throat> are improving. Like we're not sitting on our hands. Like we're actively trying to use science to like address these problems. And so they're now, um, developing tools to better understand the type of social impact that this is going to have, the kind of like societal impacts infrastructure impacts that this is going to have and um they said like 
the, <clears throat> the deeper that we can understand something, the better that we can prepare and anticipate for it. And so there's all these scientists laying down their whole careers to dedicate themselves to try to understand how humanity can prepare for what's coming. And so, um, so that report comes out. And then there's folks in the church <laughs> uh, who are preaching the, what I understand to be the idolatry of climate denial. And the reason why I, how I got there is, is because um, I asked questions like, is climate denial an expression of, of God's work in the, uh, God's authorship of creation? They would argue that it is because it's like, um, uh, if uh, God's got it, you know, like if climate change, even if climate change is real, like we can trust that God is going to take care of us. Like, since when is that? been the the two things that get coupled together like god loves us therefore we're not gonna have problems is that what jesus told us as he was hanging on the cross <laughs> like is that what jesus said when like hey there's gonna be persecution there's gonna be wolves like jesus said like the whole point of jesus ministry was like hey god really really loves you and like that doesn't mean that God's going to take care of all of your problems. God is going to like sh support you and be in solidarity with you as you address the hardest parts of your life, as you lift the heavy lifting in your life, um, as you face impossible problems, God will be with you. And that's, that's the good news of Jesus, but God's not going to just like sweep in and do like a little miracle especially after generations of sin, of generations of pollution and industrialism and extractive uh, industries. Like, God's going to be with us, but that, God is not going to... So, yeah, I think that it's interesting to look at um, uh, the authorship and, uh, of this and, and understanding how we relate to the Creator. Second reason why I believe that it's idolatrous is because uh, an ethic of climate denial does not... Uh, demonstrate liberating love to the world. Uh, climate denial is a willful disregard of our neighbor. Literally, like, our neighbors, uh, because the impacts of climate change are always going to be felt the most intensely by the poorest folks of any society. But globally, our neighbors, as, like, we're United States, like, we are largely responsible for a lot of this stuff. Um, and... And it's our neighbors in Africa, it's our neighbors in, in South America who are going to really, really be paying the brunt of our decisions. The IPCC has an interactive atlas where you can see, uh, you can use a slider and different data sets to observe how climate change in different modeling is going to impact rainfall, in, impact heat, uh, impact drought, and all of those maps are showing the global south being disproportionately affected by it, even though the global south uh, is in many regards the least culpable for climate change happening. So it's showing this like willful uh, uh, disregard of our neighbor. Yeah, and in the comments we say, I was reading about a report and I saw an article about how humans are responsible for climate crisis and I was nodding along until I saw folks talking about how to how the majority of the global south is very much not responsible, and what does say about what we think is human. Hoo! Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, we don't have to love our neighbor if we don't see our... 
the folks who are living in the global south is human. Um, so like an ethic of liberating love, I don't feel like is, is held in that. And ultimately, I, I don't think that this is, um, I think that climate denial very conveniently reinforces the powers and principalities that are already at play in the world. Because you know who climate denial is convenient for? Like, the most powerful companies in the world! <laughs> like, oil companies and energy companies! Um, it's, it's convenient for um, political leaders who, like, would have to sacrifice the most to be able to address climate change. And so when I see that, I, I can't help but suspect that climate denial is in service to the empire and that, by definition, detracts from the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus came to deconstruct the empire and build up the kingdom of God. And so as a Christian, I'm constantly trying to run a power analysis of, like, who is winning? Who is being centered in this? And if it, the answer is the people who have always won and been centered, then it might not be Christian. That's what the kingdom of God means. And, and we uh, refer to the empire as powers and principalities. That's a Pauline phrase. Um, so I, I think that... Uh, oh, and by the way, just to loop back to the comment on astrology. If astrology were a multi-billion dollar industry that was like, funding different candidates to get elected and pouring like millions of dollars into lobbying so that like our our well-being as a country was sacrificed then i probably would be anti-astrology <laughs> you know like like as a christian as someone who's trying to live a christocentric life my suspicion is always for the empire and any like sniffing out any way that the empire is showing up in the world and that's how i oppose it and and if um, there's a dollar and dollars behind it, if there's a political power behind it, that just increases my suspicion of it. Um, and I think that in the face of all of this, instead of this like idolatry of climate denial, I do think that there's rather a, a really rare opportunity for Christians to show up for our global community. Because Christianity, like the whole point of <laughs> faith, of, of loving a God who is greater than ourselves, of the whole point of admitting that we're not in control of everything, is that slowly, slowly we develop a love circuit where we love God and lo God loves us back in a way that um, is more stable and sustained than the everyday impacts of our life. Because, I mean, if you even think about this past week that you had, there were some days that were a little bit better than other days, right? And it's like, depending on what's going on, it's so easy to rise and fall with that feeling. And what, what the practice of faith is trying to cultivate is an awareness of a God whose love sustains, whose love does not change, whose love is as present as the sky, which is to say, all the time. And if we are loved, then we can practice hope for hope, the grounding of hope is love. And if we feel God's love intensely, then we can show up for hope in the world, not because we believe certain circumstances are going to turn out great, but because we believe that there is a God beyond our circumstances who's calling us into life. And if that God is real, then there's, a, there's, a, a, there's something greater that we can hope for. There is a different ending to the story. If I were a... Uh, um, 
a secularist. I don't even like that word, but like if I wasn't subscribing to a faith framework, my hope would be grounded in like the human capacity to uh, evolve and adapt. And I met people who subscribe to that and I, um, I bless that and continue on <laughs> because I believe that like even where human, I've seen humans fail enough. I've seen the shortcomings of society enough that I believe there has to be kind of like a greater horizon that we're moving towards. And that's, that's what we're trying to get at with community of faith. Does that, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, practicing love and hope. So um, uh, I, it makes me think of how like Christians were literally the people who practice hope when during the, you know, like 300s, like Nero and all that stuff was going down, the Colosseum was built. Christians were like the ones who were not seen as human, <laughs> who were like brought to like fight with lions and people would watch them die as sports. And as that was happening, Christians were like, I am proclaiming that I am a person of hope. As a lion is like tearing off their jaw. They're like, I am going to insist on being a person of hope. It makes me think about um, how in the midst of, just to use a more contemporary example, in the midst of uh, plantation theology, in the midst of colonizers thinking that they have the corner on God, in the midst of rampant racism and enslavement and genocide, there were folks, enslaved folks, who were singing over my head, I hear music in the air, there must be a God somewhere. And those songs were not just about like theology, they were like tactical tools to be able to like free themselves, like to, to, to self-liberate. Like th that's the kind of Christianity that I'm excited about is, is a Christianity that can find this lifeline of hope, even when things are like really, 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 really bad. And so I think that there's an opportunity for Christians to read through this intergovernmental panel climate change report and say like, my hope is not grounded on the results of these charts. Rather, my hope is grounded in God, and God is asking me to really pay attention to climate change so that I can learn how to love my neighbor better. Do you see the, the difference? It's like a tectonic difference between those two. And I guess I just like, as I think about my own um, journey as a climate change activist, I realize that like, every time I look at the sky, Every time I remember that there is a sky at all trying to teach, trying to reach out to us, I'm reminded that there is a God who is singing over us, that there is music in the air, and that hasn't stopped despite how much humanity has messed up. And if God is still bringing the, that, those pink sunrises and the storms that we can listen to and the stars with all of their infinite wisdom, if God is continuing to show up in that way, then I can continue to show up for God. I can contribute my part of the circuit of love where I can worship and adore and pray to God who gives me a, a greater strength and pacing to life that would that the despair of this world would not allow me to otherwise have. This is like the liberation that I believe is possible with a Christocentric life. And maybe if we do a little less policing of our churches, do a little bit more prophesying for change, then we would be able to live as people of hope as well, even in the church.
Amen.